at 6 p.m., bring some breakfast food with you. We'll eat at 6 p.m. At 6.45, um, we will have a 15-minute business meeting that annually we are required to have. Uh, we will go over all of the finances from 2021. If you'd like to know how much came in, how much went out, where those monies were spent, uh, we will answer those questions during that time. We will provide um, a sheet on the front table out front for the next two weeks following that. So if you weren't able to attend the meeting, you could make yourself uh, available to that and ask any questions that you have during that time, okay? Pastor Frank did a great job introducing our series for next month, but we're wrapping up this morning our series on making room. I hope you've made some uh, adjustments to make room for Jesus, for his blood, for his forgiveness, his gentleness. Uh, and last week, <clears throat> or this week, we're wrapping it up with prayer. Last week, we talked about new revelation and shared this week with you on the devotions each day. Uh, one of the things that stuck out the most and I'm getting a response from is that if you listen to the news, you get a pathetic outcome, but if you will listen to God, you'll get a prophetic outcome. Uh, so, <laughs> um, before I get started with this morning, the, the Lord placed something on my heart, and I really was not anticipating any type of response that I received, and some of you saw it, and some of you responded. Some of you are still at home watching, and you responded uh, to, why aren't you going to church, or why aren't people going to church? And I expected a few answers. I did not anticipate 400 responses to uh, that question, including about eight different pastors that have called, texted, and emailed this week, um, responding with thank you, because that's a very difficult question that all of us want to answer, but a lot of times we're afraid of what the responses will be, so we don't ask it. And we are finding that, of course, the pandemic has caused people to get out of the habit of or placed fear upon them. Uh, some uh, consciously are making decisions for their health that are the best for them, and they stay away. We have no problems with that. I said in the, in the message, I said it's not up for debate, and it's not here to blast. This is just completely done in love, and I believe God helped us create a safe place <clears throat> to, um, to pose that question, and many pastors are uh, responding to it as well. So would you uh, keep in mind those who lead uh, the flock of God in their different locations as they try to navigate and make decisions. Uh, and we have seen a 40% drop in attendance across America in the last two years in church attendance. And without a doubt, that affects finances. And you know that at Grace Life, we do not get up here and put any type of burden on you. We don't demand anything or tell you how much to give or give you a percentage. You are mature believers who have an indwelling Holy Spirit that can deal with you about that, and you obey Him uh, in that. But that, that is one of the responses that people have given is that they, it's just, they get beat up constantly uh, about finances. It does take finances to operate a local church and what you don't support goes away if that's little league baseball or your hunting and fishing habit or your nails and pedicures if you don't support it it goes away uh, so i'll leave that where it's at but pray for those pastors uh, and leaders that have to make those choices 
because it is affecting many in uh, the valley as well as around the state and the world. So uh, I even had pastors from Kenya responding to me that it's affecting them as well. So it's not just here in America. Church attendance has been affected. But in, I just wanted to put that out to you because I believe that the success of any local church are the people. It starts with the people, okay? So get your Bibles out if you would, and let's wrap up this series uh, on making room. And this week we are going to teach uh, making room for prayer, but I believe that needs to be understood how to pray from a new covenant mindset. How many of you, by the show of hands, know that we are no longer under an old covenant system? We are under the new covenant of grace. But so many of our understandings of praying still come out of that old covenant mindset or worldview. So then we think that we are alone. Most would pray from a perspective of that they are alone. And that we enter into God's presence and we leave God's presence when we go to church or when we go to prayer. When we go to prayer, we're, we're trying to get into God's presence. How many have been taught that? And that when we come to church, we're coming to, get, to be in God's presence with the saints. Prayers from this perspective do not fit the reality of your new life in Christ. It's not the reality of who you are in Christ in the new covenant because you have the Holy Spirit of God Himself living on the inside of you. I can remember this for years on youth trips, church trips, and especially family trips. Get in the car. Now, God, go with us as we go on this trip. Well, where did you think he was going to be? He lives inside of you. You take him everywhere you go. And until we get that reality and the awareness of that uh, truth that he is in us, we will continue to pray prayers from an old covenant mindset trying to evoke the presence of God to come into our midst. And I don't expect a whole lot of hooping and hollering and shouting. This is teaching. We have to understand it, write it down, get it in our minds. How many of you are auditory learners? You hear it and you got it and you walk away and it's yours. Good. How many of you are kinesthetic learners? You have to write it down, do something with your hands. Okay. How many of you are visual learners? You need to see it. Some people raise their hand more than once. <laughs> That's good because we will retain 75% of what we see, what we hear, and what we write down. So it's good to take notes. It's good to listen. And that's why we continue to put it on the screens to help you learn. But we've got to get out of this old covenant mindset because it does not fit the reality of our prayers in our new life in Christ. One of the most prayed old covenant prayers is prayed in church every Sunday morning. And it's an invitation for the Holy Spirit to come down out of heaven and dwell with the saints. That is an old covenant prayer. You brought Holy Ghost with you. Now, I do believe that the Holy Ghost in me is for me. But when the Holy Ghost gets on me, it might be for you. But I still don't have to pray him on me. Because he's in me, and he comes out of me. And when he manifests himself out of me, it will begin to use my gifts to operate 
uh, and your gifts to operate, not just from the pulpit, but uh, even in the pews, you can begin to manifest the gifts that God has placed on you and minister to the body. Um, this type of prayer and many, many other types of prayers, hear this, were made irrelevant to over 2,000 years ago. The way that we pray changed at the cross. <laughs> Some still view God as a cosmic deity who is in, inapproachable and unreachable until they've reached a certain protocol to be worthy to come into the presence of the king. Now please help me and hear me. And, and any time that I give illustrations, I am not downgrading or trying to say that someone was wrong. We've all preached from the revelation that we had at the time that we preached it and released it. But there was a, uh, a book many years ago that became a preaching, a teaching, and even a movie that there was a protocol used from Esther that she had to get herself to a certain position and smell a certain way, act a certain way, look a certain way, so that she could approach the king who was unapproachable and unreachable. And then when she got to that, then the king would receive her and hear her cry. That is not new covenant mentality. I have access to the very throne of God because my daddy's in there. Somebody gave Pastor Jen a hard time this week because she called God Papa. Well, I mean, that's the reality of where she sees God in her life right now, and that's completely okay and totally awesome. Because when you view Him as the Father that He is, it will change your perspective of the way that you pray. But if you have to get yourself ready, and you have to reach a certain protocol... See, I'm not unworthy. I'm a child. I'm his child. I have a key to get right into the presence of God, and that key was the blood of Christ that provided me access to, to the Father. So I no longer have to do, you know, burn incense and, and, you know, whatever it is that people think they have to do, fast for three days, go on a hunger strike, you know, abstain from TV, abstain from all of these things. If God tells you that, I mean, I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just saying you don't have to go through all of these rituals and routines and a protocol that's been given to you to reach the king. He's living on the inside of you, and the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you has constant communication with the Spirit of God in heaven and bears witness to what Jesus has already done on the cross. That is a good place to say amen right there. But from this viewpoint, many believers are still praying with an old covenant mentality, and that leads to begging and pleading. We beg God. I've seen people plead with God. Now, let's talk about desperate situations. I, I remember the moment that I got a call that Mary and Natalie had been in a bad wreck, didn't know what the circumstances were, didn't know what their conditions were, but Dad's heart sank from his chest to his toes, and in that moment, you, you know, you not really pleading with God, but it was desperate. So you, you, you say things, you do things, uh, and I believe God knows our hearts because we love our children, and He loves us more than we could ever love our children. So He understands that, but most praying has become begging and pleading for our wants and needs. 
New Covenant prayers, the mentality of a New Covenant prayer, though, is declaring and decreeing. Because first or Second Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God, I'm supposed to be wearing these all the time, for all the promises of God in Him, who? Jesus, are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So we declare and decree the promises of God because everything that we need has already been provided for through the cross of Christ. So watch this, everybody look at me for a second. So if the cross is here, the Old Testament was looking at something that had not occurred. And from that mentality, people began to beg and plead for something that had not yet happened. Now when you get on this side of the cross where the covenant changed and the blood of Jesus was shed and we just took communion representing that brand new covenant, we look back at the cross, the finished work of what Jesus completed at the cross, so we're not begging and pleading for it, we're declaring and decreeing what it did, what it accomplished for us. So what is the filter of our prayers? The cross. New covenant, the the basis of new covenant prayers is the finished work of the cross of Calvary. It is not by accident that John recorded what he heard Jesus. You know John, the disciple, was the only disciple that was at the cross that verbally heard Christ declare, It is finished. So he was able to pin that while I was standing at the foot of the cross that Jesus cried out, it is finished. Do you know what the priest declared over on the other side of the wall at the temple when the sacrifice was being made at the exact same time that Christ was crucified outside the camp? The priest was declaring on the old covenant side, it is finished. What was being finished? The the atonement for the sins of the people for one year. But Christ on the cross outside of the camp was declaring that old covenant system is finished. I'm declaring it uh, completely done. And I've accomplished everything that you need. That's the basis of our prayer in the new covenant. Hebrews 10.29 says that any other basis would considered to have trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted or frustrated the Spirit of grace. So when you pray, if you are praying with an old covenant mindset, and you are begging and pleading God to do things that He has already accomplished, you are trampling the Son of God underfoot, you're counting the blood of the covenant a common thing, and you are frustrating the Spirit of grace. And you wonder why prayers aren't being answered. Under the old covenant, people do not know for sure how God will answer, so they, the question is constantly... Is he willing? I mean, I hear even ministers all the time discussing and debating whether the Father is willing to heal people. Healing's the children's bread. I can raise my hand and say, I'm a child of God. Healing is mine. 
I can't explain why it doesn't manifest instantly in some cases. I can't understand. I don't understand that this is, I do understand that this is just the body, and the body is going to suffer illnesses, viruses, bacterias, and things, but my spirit man has never been sick a day in its life. <laughs> Isn't it? And if I can get my mind to line up, that's the soul realm. See, you are a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in a body. And what we're trying to get in alignment is our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, that the spirit man, is that right? Is whole, well, and healed, never been sick a day in his life. While it, why it might not ever manifest in the body, which will never make it anyway, I can't explain those certain things. But that doesn't mean I stop believing and declaring and decreeing that what the spirit man is already experiencing can manifest in the physical man. In the new covenant, he has qualified us for all, somebody say all, provisions that the Father willed to us as an inheritance. And he didn't leave healing out. He did not leave uh, your well-being out mentally and emotionally. Prayer, if you're going to write anything down this morning, it'll be on the screen. Prayer is how we access and expedite the resources of heaven to earth. I believe that prayer creates a highway. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The will of the Father is not for you to be sick. So you access the will of the Father and the resources and provisions of heaven and create a highway to expedite and to access those resources. Jesus taught the disciples and told them that if they would pray in his name, that they would have whatever they asked for. Do you remember him saying that? So why do we pray in Jesus' name? Do you, I hope you understand his name is not a magic mantra. It's not just a magical expression that we make in Jesus' name. His name is a reminder that all we pray, once again, is based on the finished work of what he already accomplished, bought, paid for, and sealed with his blood. So, how do we have confidence? How, how can we begin to really step into that these things have already been accomplished? They are already ours. We don't have to beg and plead for them. We can declare and decree that they have been accomplished. How can I do that with confidence? I'm glad you asked that. Go with me to 1 John, <laughs> the fifth chapter. And John... This is, John actually wrote the epistle of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, before he wrote the gospel of John. Uh, I would believe, and I am the, of the persuasion and agree with scholars that believe that John wrote the gospel of John last, even after he wrote Revelation. That's my persuasion. This is the confidence, verse 14, 1st John 5. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. 
See, in the, an old covenant mindset doesn't have confidence to approach God because they don't believe that he's approachable until they get themselves in a certain position. So he's not approachable and he's not reachable until they do something that makes them worthy of approaching. But in the new covenant, we have confidence when approaching the Father. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, watch this, we know that we have what we asked of him. We already have what we're asking of him because it's his will. He, he had men inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it down so that we could declare and decree what we already have. You know, a few weeks ago on our devotions, I talked about holiness. Uh, the old covenant origin of holiness is diet. If you study it out, they, they became holy or were made holy by adhering to the kosher diet that God set before them in Exodus 21 through 25 and also in the, the book of Leviticus, telling them what to eat, and if they eat, ate that, then what they took into their bodies made them holy. But God says through Jesus in 1 Peter 1.16 that uh, you are holy for I am holy. So the same way that Jesus is holy is how we are holy. When he comes up out of the Jordan River after being baptized, no miracles have been performed. Nobody's been raised from the dead. He, he's not done any miraculous feats. He's not walked on water, cast out demons. He's not done any of that. And the Father still says, I am well pleased in you. In other words, you're holy. And I'm pleased in you. That's the same way that you and I are holy. We are holy because the Holy Ghost took up residence on the inside of us. If I can make myself holy, I told an individual that asked questions during that time, he said, well, you've got to do this and that. I said, if I can make myself holy, then I don't need God to make me holy. You are already holy. You are already righteous. You are already worthy. You are a child of God. Healing is the children's bread. It's yours for the receiving, <laughs> the taking. The supply of the kingdom of God, however, is invisible. The provisions that he has already given to you are not tangible things. What do most believers ask for? Most believers ask for tangible things. But the provisions of the kingdom are invisible. It isn't in asking for things, it's in becoming aware of what you already have and then declaring and decreeing those things. 2 Peter 1.3 says, As His divine power has given to us all things. Is that on the screen? All things that pertain to life. That's here and now, folks. He's giving us, given us everything that pertains to life. What did Jesus say? I came to give you life and that more abundantly. Why would he give us life and then we have to struggle through it all to, to get anything? He now says that he's given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. They're ours. They're yours. Receive them. 
Does that make sense? That's the perspective of the new covenant, and we have to pray on the basis of the finished work of what has already been accomplished. It will... I'll, I'll save that for later. Matthew 18, 18. Whatever you forbid and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit and declare proper and lawful on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. This is binding and loosing. This is declaring and decreeing what is already been bound in heaven or declared unlawful and decreeing what has been loosed or what has been declared permissible and lawful. These are declarations of binding and loosing. That's how we pray. The old covenant asked to remove the curse. People were all, always asking for the curse to be removed. In the new covenant, the cur we have been redeemed, Galatians says, from the curse. I don't have to pray for it to be removed. It's been removed and I'm redeemed from it. That should change the way that I pray and my perspective of praying. In New Covenant prayer, we don't ask God to do what He's already done in Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. That's, ask, that's like asking uh, Lisa, who lives with me, to come and visit me. <laughs> that's how silly it is. He's already with you. He's already in you. He's already provided. Why do we ask for the things that we already have? When we pray then, we are loosing the resources of heaven. That's the model prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. It should not be, in my opinion, called the Lord's Prayer. It should be called the disciples' prayer. They ask, how should we pray? He told them how they should pray. He doesn't pray it. <laughs> we pray for the resources of heaven. Thy, will, thy kingdom come. You know the kingdom has been coming since he shed his blood, was buried, and rose again, the kingdom has been in operation. I heard a, a popular, famous TV preacher, evangelist, say this week on television that the kingdom, he can't wait to get to heaven so we can reign with Christ. Well, then start praying for God to kill you because he's already reigning and ruling right now. And the scripture tells me that we rule and reign with him. And do you know where it tells me that we reign and rule with him? In this life. You don't have to die to reign and rule with Christ. You're reigning and ruling right now. And you have the authority to release the resources of the kingdom of God in heaven on the earth. And in the earth. Hmm. Old covenant prayers were reciting of prayers from a prayer book. Even in the Old Covenant, they had prayer books that all they did was recite those prayers. Common, here's a common misinterpretation. And I'm sorry, Lord, but I used to preach it. You better be persistent. If you want your miracle, you've got to be persistent. Ask, seek, knock, bombard heaven. Am I talking anybody's language there? Have you heard that in the past? I mean, you got to be persistent. Bombard heaven. That's a, a common misinterpretation. 
And when you are persistent and you beg God for answers, this presents the wrong picture of who the Father is. You're presenting a picture of the Father that He's reluctant to hear you. Maybe He's asleep and doesn't want to wake up. And maybe He's just unconcerned with the affairs of your life. Can I give you some encouragement today? Stop hounding God and pounding the floor. Stop pounding God and pounding the floor like a toddler begging mommy for a toy. He is not reluctant, but rather ready to make you aware of what He has already given you and for you to respond to that in faith and receive the manifestation of it. When I use the word of manifestation of it, it's really, it really means to be the awareness of it. Until we come to the awareness of what we already have and we declare and decree those things by faith, it's like I said last week, when God gives you a prophetic vision, He's given you the end result. And so in your imagination, prophetically, you need to see that end result in your finances, in your health, in your marriage, in your relationship. See the end result because the basis of the kingdom of God is the finished work of the cross. And so if it's already ours and already accomplished, I need to use my imagination to prophetically see the end result and then by faith declare and decree and work towards receiving that end result. And so the end result of uh, illness, sickness, my body breaking down is that I see myself in my imagination walking whole, well, and healed with no signs or symptoms of sickness. And by faith I declare and decree that whether I have a symptom or I don't have a symptom. By His stripes, we are healed. Your finances. Until you can get a prophetic vision in your imagination of the end result of where you want to be and where God sees you. See, because sickness, sin, poverty, and death are not the vision that God has for you. And you already have the victory over sickness, sin, death, and poverty. Marriages that are struggling until people get a prophetic vision and in their imagination they see their marriage whole, well, and healed and by faith declare and decree those things and walk towards that end result, they'll continue to struggle. I don't have to struggle to be free. I'm already free to struggle. Wow. The Greek word here that is used for persistence, and and I'm sorry I didn't put it on the screen, is uh, something that I can't pronounce. (laughs) It's A-N-A-I-D-E-I-A. You can look it up in the Greek lexicon. It's for the word persistence. It's misinterpreted most of the time for the word persistency, but it means actually shameless audacity. So many have been taught this persistence mentality And they beat God down until he gives in and gives you what you want. That's the mentality of persistency. In all actuality, it is a willingness to boldly declare, that's mine. In Jesus' name. 
It's a shameless audacity. I'm not ashamed that I am a child of God and I have what he's given me. And so I shamelessly will declare with bold, I'm willing to declare that I can go right up into daddy's lap and say, thank you, Father, that you've already healed me. Thank you that my finances are in good shape. I'm thankful that all my relationships are working out the way that you want them to work them out. I'm thankful that that problem at work, and we're, just a second, I'll tell you about not even praying about the problem. Knowing him as father changes the way that we pray. New covenant prayers rest on knowing that he is ever willing and has blessed us, Ephesians 1.3, with all spiritual blessing. And I'll add John 1.16 to that. For out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received. How many of us have received? Grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, gift heaped upon gift. We've received it. We don't have to beg and plead for it or even ask for it. He's given it. We receive it. So let's discuss something about power. Are you ready? We must crush the misconception that there is more than one power. I'm going to say that again because it it needs repeated. We've got to crush the misconception that there is more than one power. The focus of most, most prayer has been for a greater power, God, that cosmic being deity out there, to overcome a lesser power, many times referred to as spiritual warfare. If you've not listened to my four-part series on spiritual warfare, you need to go to YouTube and listen to it because it blows every misconception of what we've known as spiritual warfare away. There, I want you to say this with me. After Just repeat it after me, then we're going to say it again. Say this with, out loud. There is only one power. We're going to say it again. There is only one power. Anything else that seems to have power, you and I have given it power by believing it had power. And it's a lie. And I'm going to help you to stop believing and being loyal to a lie. Because we've been loyal to a lie, we have a conception in our mind that there are other powers out there that the greater power has to overcome. So we pray prayers that aren't biblical and aren't scriptural. We have believed because religion has taught us to believe this lie that there is more than one power. So we accepted that something has power over us or has power in the world. I said it a minute ago and I'll say it differently now. Sin, sickness, death, and poverty have no power over the believer. Jesus declared he had how much power? He said, I have all power both in heaven and on earth. Scriptural reference is Matthew 28, 18. Then in the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, and towards the end of Luke, He then gives us, as his disciples and his children, that same power. (laughs) Can I tell you something, and this ought to make you shout and think at the same time. 
the enemy cannot hinder your prayer. If you believe that the enemy can hinder your prayer, you have an old covenant mindset that Daniel had his prayer held up and you've got to fast and pray for 21 days so that that prayer can be unleashed. Smile at me real big. That's an old covenant mentality because there were other powers. So we were taught by religion. But my Bible tells me in Colossians, the second chapter, verse 15, that he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Listen to this. Get this in your spirit. Lock it in your brain. All the enemy's weapons have been stripped away from him and now the church has authority in Christ to enforce this triumphant victory over all dethroned rulers and powers. Because there's only how many power? One. Frank, if you'll come. Now, I really... Honestly, get sick at my stomach when I hear prayers that talk that are talking to the enemy. Devil, we come. I, why do you? Why are you talking to an entity that's been defeated and has been rendered powerless? Why? Why would you even talk to that entity? I, the model prayer of the new covenant. I I pray to the Father. Now I believe that a better way to pray is to thank the Father for sending Jesus to whip the enemy. And, to, and thank Him for the victory that He has already won for me over sickness, over sin, over death, over disease. And He's given me f the power to get wealth. He, he's given me authority to walk in boldness and confidence as a child of God. I don't have to pray for victory. I pray from victory. That's completely different. I'm going to wrap it up here. Praying in the New Covenant is three things. They're all going to be P's to help you remember them. Prayer, P, New Covenant prayer. Number one, proclaim. Don't pray the problem, pro the, proclaim the provision. Don't, pro, don't pray about the problem, proclaim the provision that's already been provided through what Jesus did at the cross. Number two, partake. You're not asking God to give, but you're taking hold of what has already been given. You're partaking. That's why Peter says, I am a partaker of the divine nature of God. It's already been given to me, and I'm partaking in it. And I'm taking hold of it. Proclaim, partake, and party. Prayer should be a party rejoicing that as a loving father and thanking him for giving us Jesus and that we have an indwelling spirit. And that Holy Spirit within us is a teacher, not a doer. He's a helper, not a doer. He helps us. We do. That's how we change our doing to get. We doing, we're, we're proclaiming from victory. We are serving from victory as sons. Let me give you this last illustration in James 1.16. It's a very popular New Covenant scripture, especially when it comes to effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Underline that phrase, righteous man. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. According to 1 Corinthians 5.21, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
So you don't have to look for anyone else to pray a factual, fervent prayer for you. You don't go to Moses to get him to pray a prayer for you. You don't go to Elijah to get Elijah to pray a prayer for you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your prayers are effectual and they avail much in the kingdom. Just Let's just settle that right now. And it's, I'm not telling you that it's wrong because he does say in the same context, if you're sick, ask the elders of the church, let them pray for you. They'll pray the prayer of faith. And not only will your sickness be healed, you'll be forgiven of all of your sins. That's amazing. <laughs> Psalm 34, 15. For the eternal one watches over the righteous. Help me say it again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the Father, the Eternal One, watches over me because I am the righteousness of God. Not only do His eyes watch over me, His ears are attuned to my prayers. That should give you confidence that He is always listening to what you have to say when you declare and decree His will over your life. And you, release, you are releasing the resources of heaven on earth. My intent, my goal this morning was to help you break free from the drudgery of legalistic praying and to help you revolutionize your communion with the Father. Because that's, that's prayer. Prayer is communing with the Father. Communication, my spirit communicating with the Spirit of God in heaven. We have fellowship. His, wit, his Spirit bears witness with my spirit and then I declare and decree what I have already see, received. I partake of that. I take hold of it. I'm no longer praying the problem. I'm praying the provision. That makes me happy. I rejoice and party that I have a great, good, heavenly Father that's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. Um, I asked last night on Facebook, so, so what is prayer and why, why do you pray? There was a whole lot of different answers my answer to that question has changed over the last decade and it continues to evolve as the father reveals more of jesus to me because every aspect every turn as he unfolds himself because he's manifold he's all kinds of colors uh, and we've not begun to really tap into all that he is but the more that is revealed to us of who jesus is the more we get to see of who we are. And that should enlighten us and that should cause us to change uh, the way that we've been praying. And a lot of different areas of our life will begin to look differently, sound differently, and we'll act differently because the grace of God is a, the only thing that can do a deep inner healing in a man's heart. The law will help you change your behavior but it won't be a lasting change. It won't be a transformation. It's only the grace of God that does that. And as we receive more of the grace of God and walk in that, our prayers will begin to change. Amen. Do you have something? Come on up. Share with them. She told me she would probably have something at the end today to bring it all together. She's going to wrap it up. No, um, well, just like you said, you know, we're, when you have that, these questions out there, I never comment on them because it's, well, 
have the energy, to be honest. But <clears throat> people want to debate. But um, but we're like you said, constantly growing, getting revelation. We'll say one thing, and then we're like, oh, and we catch ourselves, and then we'll say something another time because it's like, oh, you know, I didn't see that. It was just incomplete truth, you know. But He is the truth. And he is the spirit of truth, which is Holy Spirit, who can only declare what he saw at the cross. And that's what he witnesses to us and leads and guides us. But as when it comes to prayer, and I know I've said it a long, for several months probably, and what will help is it's like starting, not starting over, because how we're praying, I mean, if that's how you do it. And, but what I want to say that's helping me is in John, the book of John, and if you read chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and he prays for the believers. And in that, he didn't pray for, give them this, give them that, do this, do that. It was that they just knew that they were one, as Jesus and the Father were one, and Jesus and they, the disciples and us, are one in Jesus. And then how Jesus said that my joy in them will be filled and that you loved, that they may know that you love them like you loved me. So that's the thing. Our, and, and when you don't know how to pray, just start thinking of how big God is and that he's dwelling in you and that he loves you. And then from that kind of prayer standpoint, then you don't have to worry about begging and pleading because he's already given. Where is he going to go to give you something that you don't already have? Is there a warehouse in heaven? I used to hear that. You know, he's got warehouses of arms and legs and this. And, you know, I mean, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying. And that was, you know, part of it. But when you know that you and him are one and you're not separate. And see, a lot of times we think we're praying to him way out here. And that's okay if you do that. I get it because, you know, we have been taught that. But he is in us. And he is revealing and awakening. So I, when I pray, I'm like, Lord, I just, I just need to know more of your bigness in me. Because the universe, you know, there's thousands of galaxies. You know, I'm intrigued by stars and space and all of that. Because it's just so huge. And for someone to think they've cornered anything. And we're not claiming we've cornered anything. But, I mean, because he's so big. And just the galaxies that he's made that's way out there, it's infinite, it's never ending. He made that. But you know, he holds that in his hand. And then we're in his hand and then he is like in us. So we just have so much that has still we have to be awakened and aware of. And it's just a, like a reset of, Lord, when I pray, I'm just going to thank you for who you are. I'm thanking you that you loved me. I'm thanking that you are making me more aware that I'm not separate from you. I don't have to, I don't have to chase you. You're chasing me with goodness and mercy. You know, all I have to do is turn around, change my mind, metanoia, and let you overtake me. And, you know, when you just start thinking that, your prayers, and things start manifesting and coming out. And um, so... The first thing is just to know that you're one with him. You're not separate. You are one. And that was the prayer that Jesus actually prayed for the disciples and himself and that he would, he would know. And he even prayed, Lord, don't even take them out of the world. <laughs> I pray you don't take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. And so, you know, there's all kinds of teachings that could come from that revelation. And, you know, there was only one power. And like you said, we don't have to believe 
that this other power is working in the world because of principalities and power in the high place. Well, the high places are our mind. That's our mind. And it's like, no, that has no power. What am I believing that for? There's only one power, and he's given him to all to Jesus, and Jesus has given all of that to us, and he has given him authority over all flesh. So anyway, just start praying that you know your oneness. You're not separate. He is ever-present. He is. You is. I am. He. I, I am. His is. Yeah. And so when you start to know that and understand that, things start changing. You start becoming more aware of who you really are. And that's why identity is so important that we teach that. But anyway, I hope that might have helped your oneness. Yeah. And you're, you're loved. <laughs> Would you stand with me? I liked how she tied that in. What we leave you with when we depart from one another's presence here at Grace Life on Sunday morning actually comes from the Old Testament. But on the Old Testament side of it, they were praying, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. But because we're in a brand new covenant on the other side of the cross, the declaration that we make is not that the Lord will do anything for you. We declare and hope that you will partake and receive that the Lord has blessed you. The Lord is keeping you. The Lord has made His face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord has lifted up His countenance towards you and He's giving you peace, righteousness, and joy. May you walk in that this week.